I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 45th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And I'm John Simic, sitting in for Jim Calloway this month. Today our topic is how to start a law practice, and our guest is Bill Gibson, our friend and colleague in the Law Practice Management section of the ABA. Bill has a solo practice focusing on arbitration and mediation in Oregon. He is the author of Flying Solo, A Survival Guide for Solo and Small Firm Lawyers, which is a terrific book, by the way. He's also a regular columnist in Law Practice Magazine, whose, whose motto is, uh, just ask Bill. <laughs> well, welcome, Bill. Thanks for having me, Sharon and John. So, Bill, let's, let's get started right off here. What, what's the most important piece of advice that, that you would give to lawyers who are thinking about starting a solo law practice? Well, be realistic. I think that's the key to it. You have to know what you're getting into, what you're getting in for. You have to get a lot of advice, and you have to have a plan. Do, do you have any advice about specializing in one or maybe a few areas of practice versus a general practice, which is what I did, and I know how that's that can be very tough. I started off as a sole practitioner. Actually, I started with uh, shortly after starting. I had one law partner, and we had a general practice. We were going to be all things to all people. And we did criminal defense. We did uh, divorces. We did everything you could think of. And we were pretty bad at everything. Uh, though, I, <laughs> though, I did, though I did win two uh, misdemeanor criminal trials, jury trials, in the same day. That's my claim to fame as a general practitioner. But, but my epiphany came when I was arguing my one and only case in the Supreme Court on uh, statutory interpretation of a construction lien statute. And the fellow arguing the case against me had written the CLE chapter that I used to, uh, to write my brief. And I thought, you know, there's some advantage in specializing. And after that, I quit taking all the criminal cases and uh, collection cases and things that drove me crazy but didn't make me any money and started uh, doing personal injury. And that was back when you could throw an ad in the yellow pages and, and have the phone ring all day. So my advice is specialize as much as possible you don't have to limit yourself to one area. Perhaps there are uh, one, two, or three areas that go well together. But I think it's hard to be a criminal defense lawyer and a tax lawyer at the same time. There are some things that just don't don't mix. I, I agree with that. And I'll, I'll throw in a tip of my own, too. If you want to do that, pick two or three areas. That's actually helpful for search engine optimization. If you have two or three websites, each of which is focused on your particular slice of area, and we've seen people do that very, very successfully where they've had multiple websites, but they have chosen two or three areas, as you've said, and then formed websites around them. And that's helped them stand out, especially on the Internet, since the yellow pages are now all but dead. Well, I've spent the last uh, 25 years hanging around with uh, personal injury lawyers, and I know that some of them have been successful in doing uh, PI and family law, though I, I would never consider doing family law. Some have done PI and bankruptcy. That's a little bit hard because bankruptcy is so, so automated and, and so process-oriented. Uh, criminal law, bankruptcy, divorce, family law, those things tend to go together. But you, you get too far outside of that, and it's really hard to com combine the practices. So let's talk about the technology a little bit, Bill. Start, starting a law practice can, can be expensive. Do you have any advice about how to keep the expenses down? Well, this is really the best time to start a solo practice because the technology has leveled the playing field for the, little, the small lawyers, the solo people. 
we read a lot now about virtual practice. It's, it's the wave of the present and it's inexpensive. So when I started practicing, we had a traditional office, we had a secretary, we had a lot of overhead and it, it killed us. It really killed us. If I were starting out now, I don't know if I would have an office. I probably would to have a place to meet people. I certainly wouldn't have a secretary. I wouldn't have the law books. You know, nobody has law books anymore. But I would go as virtual as I possibly could. And and most of the technology is either free or low cost. It's all web-based. Yeah, cer- certainly those shared office uh, concepts uh, seem to work pretty well as too, right? They do. A lot of lawyers let's say someone has has leased a master suite and has more space than he or she needs it's pretty easy to pick up for a few hundred dollars a month a place that you can go to every day Um, office sharing i think is a lot better than than taking on a lease especially if you're just starting out Uh, but there are also uh, what are sometimes called executive suite arrangements so if you don't need an office full-time, you can rent it on an hourly basis. That tends to get a little bit pricey, and I think if you, if you shop around, you can find an office that you can have full-time. Leave your stuff there, uh, you know, whatever stuff. You know, for most of us, it's, it's a laptop, and we're good to go. But you know, if you have a printer and things like that, uh, mm-hmm. it's good to have a place that you could leave it overnight. In some of the executive suites, if you're not a full-time uh, tenant you have to take everything with you and leave the place clean for the next person and that's that's a bit of an inconvenience Mm -hmm. i think too for technology john which you were referencing uh baron henley our friend who you know as well bill uh he he does an excellent seminar on uh starting your law office for i think is it six thousand dollars yeah inflation it's up to six it used used to be five (laughs) but now it's six six thousand but that's that's a very helpful uh seminar if you ever get a chance to take that from baron the problem that we ran ran into is one of our clients heard heard baron and, and this is like a eight or 10 person law firm and says, how come I can't run my law firm for $6,000? <laughs> no, Baron's talking about a solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had well, to... that, that, that really begs the larger question. I could have a law office open tomorrow for far less than that, but how long would my initial investment keep me going and how long would it be until I, I would get my first fee? So I don't know if his $6,000 includes, uh, you know, 90 days of rent, if you're paying rent, uh, mm-hmm. just exactly what it covers. Well, he, he's talking technology, so he's trying to give you technology that will actually start a viable law practice where, you know, you, you've got all the basics to, to get moving tech-wise. And that, that, I think, is very helpful to people. But it is only focused on technology. So do you think, Bill, that a new solo should have a credit line in case of emergencies? I know a lot of them would have trouble getting one, but do you think they should have one? Well, I've, I've uh, written a lot about uh, solo practice. You mentioned that I was the editor of, uh, of Flying Solo, and I'm actually, after this, uh, this program is over, I'm going to go back to work finishing the third edition of my book called How to Build and Manage a Personal Injury Practice. And I think it's critical that you have a credit line you have a rich uncle or you have a second job. <laughs> Spouse doesn't count. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was fortunate in that my wife was a manager for a state agency and she was able to provide us with uh, health insurance. And uh, when I started practicing in 1980, uh, you know, how much was health insurance? A hundred bucks a month. 
you know, now uh, she's retired and I pay that every month. It's 1400 a month. And those are the kinds of things that, that uh, aspiring solos need to think about. Uh, because the last thing you want to have happen is that you're in your first month of practice. You can't afford health insurance. You fall down and break your leg. You can't work and you can't pay your hospital bills. Right. So, you know, one question is, can you get a line of credit? Not long ago, everyone had second mortgages on their houses, and now a lot of people are upside down on their houses, so they can't just go to the bank and uh, take out an equity line. So as money has gotten tighter, that option has become more and more difficult. So I'm leaning more toward uh, either marrying well or uh, having that rich uncle. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> so, Bill, the next one here is how, how can solo practitioner market herself or himself to become better known and attract the clients. We, we talked a little bit about yellow pages and that kind of stuff, but what do, what do you think today that they could get, increase that client base? I just wrote last month's Ask Bill column in Law Practice Magazine about this very topic. And as much as we talk about technology, uh, whether it's uh, uh, websites that you belong to, LinkedIn, Facebook, whether it's things you do online, tweeting and blogging, whether it's uh, referral sites uh, like Avo and some of the others, the technology is really a tool to help you do what lawyers have been doing for millennia, and that is to get out there, meet people, and establish reputations. Uh, the good news is the technology, again, is pretty much free, and it's just an investment of your time. And I, I know, and I know the two of you know lawyers who have made their reputation in the last, uh, say, five years solely based on their blogging, mm-hmm. on their, their website, on their writing. But what happens is that once you use the technology, people get to know you, and then they want to send cases to you or consult with you or uh, uh, take further advantage of your expertise. Yeah, I, I certainly think that's true, and I think it's a, a lot of the reason why, why John and I became known was through exactly all those things, social media, blogging, writing, speaking, uh, and almost all of it was free. You're right, so it, it's a great way to, to, to build the kind of networking relationships that we used to do in real life, and those are still valuable, but now we meet more people online. In the in the column I wrote last month, I had a great quote from Jim Calloway who said, uh, who said uh, blogging is important, but personal networking is just as important. So you don't want to miss the the uh, county bar holiday party because you're home working on your blog. <laughs> you don't want to pass up chances to meet people. No, you absolutely don't. They're, they're both important. What do you think about teaming up with another solo to form a partnership? Good idea? Bad idea? Mm, it depends. <laughs> it, it really depends. Uh, let me just give you a... My, my personal example, I started off with one other, other lawyer, and at the time, I, uh, I had two children in school, and uh, he had no children, and he went off and trekked in the Himalayas, and we were going to have this freewheeling kind of practice. Well, 10 years later, my kids were uh, in college, and he had youngsters, and all of a sudden, our priorities shifted, and we weren't trekking in the Himalayas, but we were running a more traditional kind of practice. So we were able to work things out. But but that brings up the point that if you're going to team up with someone, they have to be similarly situated, have similar expectations of the practice. The two of you have to have the same philosophy. 
uh, you have to be able to contribute financially. Uh, if you have one of you who uh, uh, likes to play golf four days a week and the other one is a workaholic, there are going to be problems. If, uh, if one of you is interested in developing, developing a reputation for your partnership uh, with a certain image and the other one doesn't share that view, you're going to have problems. So there's it, you know, it's, it's the old cliche is it's like getting married, but in some respects it, uh, it, it is that very thing. So would I, would I recommend it? Probably not. <laughs> well, no, I think that the, the, the divorces can be just as ugly as the real well, life divorces. That, you're absolutely right. And, and the other question is what can that lawyer bring to the table for you? You know, some people say, well, I'm going to go do contingency work while my partner is doing hourly work or, or flat rate work or something that's, that's a little bit more steady. And in theory, that makes some sense, but it also has its own problems because if, if I'm having a, a banner year in my personal injury contingency practice and, and billing two or three times as much as my partner, I'm going to question whether or not I need him or her. By the same token, if I'm uh, if I'm in a drought and and my partner is bringing in tons of money, uh, he, he or she is going to have the same concerns about whether I'm pulling my weight. And I've had conversations about expectations and who's pulling whose weight, and and they're not pleasant. And I would I would never go through it again. So if I were starting out, uh, I would not have a partner. But that's just based on my. 32 years of experience having partners and practicing solo. I love being a solo. Well, Bill, we, we mentioned a little bit about the virtual law firm. Are there any other specific technologies that a solo can use to level the playing field uh, against the larger firms? Well, the, the thing I'm, I'm starting to read about a lot, and I know the two of you are involved in, in that, is uh, uh, client portals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we go paperless, the one the one glitch in the paperless uh, law practice is that we still have to send papers to our our clients, and and it's really hard when you when you're cutting the paper out of the process when you're scanning everything when you're emailing other lawyers. It's really easy to forget to send things to your client, and often uh, there are some pretty important documents that the client needs to review. If you have a secure portal. It, that the client can log into and see what you've been doing. Maybe maybe you haven't talked in a few weeks, but you're suppose you're doing a lot of work on the case in 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 between conversations with the client. The client can get on the website, log in, and see exactly what what you've been doing, what papers have been generated, what progress is being made on the case, uh, what the next steps to be taken are, and and maybe able after reading what's going on, uh, jump in and. And help you. Maybe the client knows things that you don't know. So yeah. I think that's that's the hottest thing on the horizon right now. Mm. And th- there is a lot of development there, and I, I think it's very useful for clients because we don't always have time for those constant phone calls, so they can kind of keep track that way. But another issue we wanted to ask you about is I know in this uh, day of technology where there's a machine and a program to do everything, there's an app for that. There is a tendency of some of the new solos to think, well, I can do it all myself and I can save money on support staff. What's your view on that? Should they hire support staff or should they try to do everything themselves? I think initially they should try to do it themselves. Looking back on 
the time I've spent as a lawyer, my biggest headaches have been in human resource human resources, managing staff, managing expectations of staff, uh, paying staff. So initially, I tried to I would try to do it myself. One option that may be a stopgap between doing it yourself and hiring staff is uh, contracting out. Uh, I know some lawyers are even uh, outsourcing it. Uh, with, with a virtual assistant where you log on to the website, uh, do dictation if that's what you need, uh, uh, have somebody summarize depositions, summarize medical records, and uh, the next morning you get a, a word file back from someplace uh, in India or elsewhere at a fraction of what it would cost you for that full-time employee. Uh, so, that, so there are stop gaps interim measures you can take between doing it all yourself and having a full-time employee. I guess I should, we should mention a couple of our favorites there. Ruby receptionist is, is one. Legal right. typist is another. Those are, those are some that solos have recommended back to us. So we'll pass those recommendations along. I think one thing too that's, that's changed uh, with this new generation of, of solos is that they all learn to type. I, I remember yeah. 20 years ago, uh, going to a presentation done by Apple and they had they were showing off new technology and they had everybody was sitting at the keyboard typing away except the lawyer uh, the lawyer was looking over his secretary's shoulder while she got his email for it. You know, there, there's there's real truth to that. I was a 16-year-old legal secretary, and uh, the lawyer I worked for couldn't have typed it for his own salvation. So, yes, I remember the days, and it really has changed, hasn't it? Well, it has, and young lawyers know how to type. I don't think they would know how to use a, a dictaphone. If that's, even, if that's even the proper term anymore. yeah they would uh, they would not know that dragon people maybe <laughs> people get all worked up about uh, uh online dictation but the smartest thing i ever did in high school i was sports editor of my high school paper and had to type articles was i took a typing class hmm. and i have I've never mm -hmm. dictated in 32 years. I've never dictated a letter. I've always done my own document creation. Well, but the truth is that if you're a fast typist, and I am too, for for the same reason in high school, uh, mm -hmm. taking that class, you know, even working with Dragon, I can type faster and more accurately than I can dictate, even in a Dragon scenario. So it's it's better for me just to do my own. Yeah, I haven't even I haven't even tried Dragon, <laughs> but. I don't, don't need it. I'm happy to That's, not need it. Yeah. Well, the last time I tried it, it, it couldn't beat me, so I decided I was the better solution. <laughs> yeah. What's next, John? Well, but before you jump to the next mm -hmm. question, let me, let me just throw something in here. One, one of the things that I still hear a lot about lawyers and, and is that they don't, they don't return people's phone calls. They don't uh, get back to their clients promptly. And, uh, I think with the emphasis on technology, there's an assumption that technology will improve client service. And that's, it can be true, but it's not always true. Mm -hmm. And I think any aspiring solo needs to have a personal commitment to taking care of their clients, getting, getting involved in their client's situation, taking the call, being inconvenient sometimes. But, you know, I've, I've had people tell me, I, you know, I tried to reach my lawyer for a week and he won't call me back. So there's, there's no substitute for that personal touch. And if, if, 
if you don't have that personal touch, technology is not going to give it to you. You, mm -hmm. you know, I think Bill has actually just jumped into the question you were about to ask, John. Yep. I was going to ask you, Bill, is what are some of the big mistakes that you see solo practitioners making other than having a partner, hiring support staff, and not communicating with clients? <laughs> I think poor service. I think uh, poor work habits. And, and I, this last thing I'm going to say, I say with, with full acknowledgement that it's one of my lifelong challenges, and that's procrastination. <laughs> my, my, my reminders keep popping up, so they, they well, don't allow too much procrastination. I, I, well, which which right. way? You, you, you challenge yourself to procrastinate? Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> not exactly. Not, not exactly. And. You know, as, as lawyers, we all have lots of irons in the fire. And as, as type A personalities, everything is number one priority. And sometimes that means that half of our number one priorities don't get done for a month. <laughs> and if we, if, we promise some, if we promise somebody that, we, uh, that we'll get it done and we don't get it done, then they're going to be disappointed with us. Yeah, that's really true, and I, I think one day mm -hmm. uh, we, we need to do just nothing but productivity tips, which I think a lot of lawyers have uh, difficulty with figuring out how to be productive on a regular basis, and they do get sidetracked, and they don't know some of the ways technology can help them be more productive and more efficient and keep themselves on course, but that's for another time. So, Bill, if you, had, if you had to give a single stellar tip, your number one tip, to attorneys starting their own law practice, what would that be? I think it would be even before they start their practice to do their homework. And that's, that's not as simple as it sounds. Uh, they need to do their homework and know how much money they need to bring in given whatever configuration of, of a law office they decide to set up. They need to know what their personal expenses are. They need to they need to be able to draft a business plan, and lawyers lawyers think that's for uh, for businesses. Well, the news is you are a business. You have at the end of every month, you're going to either make money or lose money. So you have to treat it like a business, and then you have to once you decide that that you can do it, that you want to do it, uh, you have to make the commitment, and the commitment is going to be on a number of different fronts. It's going to be first and foremost on the marketing front because when you start out, you don't have any clients. So you have to figure out what you can do to get new clients. I once had a law partner who prided herself on the fact that most of her friends didn't know what she did. And uh, hmm. you, you, yeah, <laughs> counter counterintuitive. That's, that's what we said. <laughs> yeah, and and she's not in private practice anymore. <laughs> she, no, really, she's, she, she works for a bar regulatory agency, which is better suits her personality. But you have to make that commitment. John, I'm answering your question, what's the one thing by giving you about 10 things? But, but in okay. a sense, they're kind of mm -hmm. uh, sequential. And when you come to each item on the list, they become the most critical thing you can do. So you can draft your business plan but completely flub the marketing side of things. And you'll have a great plan that never gets implemented because you don't have any clients, you don't have any work to do. Right. And you may still be working as a waiter. 
anyway, those, those I think are the key things is developing a business plan, developing a marketing plan, and then executing that marketing plan. A lot of lawyers just don't like to go out and press the flesh, tell people what they do, make the case why, for people calling them instead of somebody else down the street. I know as a personal injury lawyer, I used to say that uh, between the client's house and my office, there are probably 10 PI lawyers. Well, why should they come to me? I have to make that case. Well, you obviously did a good job. Yeah. Bill, Bill, it's been a real delight talking with you, and I know our listeners have found a wealth of information in this podcast. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge and experience with us today. It's been my pleasure. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. And as Jim would say, goodbye, Miss Sharon. Thanks, John, for filling in for Jim today. And wherever you may be at this moment, Jim, happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>